Man, I hope you're encouraged. It is amazing to just see this room packed uh, in the summer. Yeah. yeah. You know, all churches go through this thing in the Midwest where attendance dips in the summer. And right now, all churches are facing this reality that there are some people who were here before COVID who aren't back. And by God's grace, uh, we just get to be an exception to both of those rules. It's because of your faithfulness. It's because of your praying. It's because of your choice to say, no matter what's going on in the world, uh, whether my life is good or bad, I'm going to seek God. And I'm just so proud of you guys for that. I'm so proud to be part of a body of believers who just love the Lord and who seek him. And thank you for letting me be part of what God is doing right here in central Indiana. Well, speaking of birthdays, it was actually my daughter Evie's birthday this last week. And I've got to tell you a story that is a little bit heartbreaking, but if you've got kids, you can, you can kind of laugh at it because you know these things pass. But in the moment, it was sad, so I'm not laughing at Evie. But Evie had this new stuffed animal. Uh, this, you know, one of these little, they call them lovies, our daughters do. This little stuffed animal, a plush animal with these big, cute, beady, plastic eyes. And we've got a dog, Penny, part lab. You know labs like to chew things. And so our girls know, they've known from the time we got Penny, uh, we have an upstairs and a downstairs. And if you leave a toy on the main floor, Penny's not allowed upstairs. If you leave a toy on the main floor overnight... It's kind of like swim at your own risk. And uh, they'd been getting a little loose with it lately, and we'd kind of been reminding them, like, hey, guys, don't forget, you, these are your toys. you got to clean them up at night. If Penny chews them up, you know, that, that's on you. Well, sadly, Evie had left this plush uh, little stuffed animal downstairs, and she woke up the next morning, and uh, her and Mel discovered it, and it was like a scene out of a horror movie. The little plushed uh, animal was destroyed and, and covered in slobber. And uh, Mel picks it up, just not even thinking, you know. They're waking up, and Mel's like, do you still want it? And Evie flips it over, and the eyes are gone. And in that moment, Evie just broke down in tears. And Mel said it was like the... The saddest thing, and of course, you know, we've been able to replace the stuffed animal with it being her birthday week. There's a little extra grace for leaving your animals out. But man, Mel was describing to me that moment of disappointment that it's like this was Evie's favorite thing in the world, and it was destroyed. And she was like, I know it's my fault. I know I left it down here. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that feeling of disappointment? You know, when we're kids, it can be something like a stuffed animal, but this week with it being Evie's birthday, I've been reflecting on our adoption process. We adopted Evie from a country called Haiti. Uh, Haiti's a, a really difficult country to live in. Uh, in fact, this last news, there was a lot of disruption in Haiti once again. That seems to be the norm over there. And I was reflecting uh, here on Evie's birthday about the adoption process. And just remembering the emotional roller coaster. I remember one time in particular where we were told that we could come and do this 15-day visit, which was part of the process. And the folks at the orphanage and the person in the government we worked with, they were both, you know, like, yeah, probably uh, there's a chance after this 15-day visit that you'll be able to take her home with you. And then uh, things happened with the government there, and it ended up being another year and a half. Uh, and not even like it's going to be another year and a half, just one month at a time, no, not yet, no, not yet. And the months 
go by, and then the year went by. I wonder, can you relate to that feeling of disappointment in your life? Maybe it's that you're longing for a child, or maybe it's that you're longing for a spouse. Maybe it's disappointment at choices you made in the past, or disappointment at choices that people you love and you want the best for them, and you're seeing them make choices, and you're just thinking, oh, this is not going to end well for you. And maybe you had a promotion that you were really hoping for and working for, and you get passed over, and you have that feeling of disappointment. Or maybe in this last year, you've tried to move houses or acquire a house, and you put in the offer, and you thought, yeah, we're going to put in the offer above asking, surely we'll get it. And probably not, you know, that feeling of disappointment. Discouragement and disappointment, they're inevitable in life. Uh, We all deal with them. In fact, I was a little discouraged when I heard Denise say in the video that school starts in three weeks. I'm sorry, kids. We did not mean to tell you that in church. I know for the parents it's a great thing, but for the kids... You know, disappointment and discouragement, they're normal parts of life. But here's the thing. Uh, We've got to learn how to deal with them when they come into our lives. Because if we don't, they just kind of sit there inside of us and they eat away at us. Disappointment, discouragement, they eat away at us if if we don't take action. Uh, It's not unlike this tragic collapse of the Champlain condominium building in South Florida. Now, the engineers and experts are still uh, saying that it'll take months or years to know exactly why, but they know of at least two or three contributing factors that would make a a building where over 100 people are sleeping inside the building just suddenly collapse on itself in the middle of the night. And one of those factors that they know for sure is corrosion inside the concrete foundations. What happens is over the years, because of disruption, as the building shifts, you get these cracks in the cement. And then because it's right on the ocean and you've got that salty sea breeze, the salty air gets in between the cracks and the pieces of metal that are put inside the concrete, it's called rebar, to hold the building together, those pieces of metal start to rust. And so from the outside, the building looks exactly the same, but inside, engineers say that when they see a building like this near the ocean, they actually grind down that rebar to see, is there just a little bit of rust? Or sometimes when it's really bad, they'll go all the way through. The whole rebar has rusted completely out, and it's just dust where there was once steel. You know, in the same way, there are some forces that can internally weaken our souls. And we keep going about life, and everything looks pretty normal to the people around us, but little do they know that inside we're being eaten away by disappointment, or eaten away by disruption, or eaten away by fatigue. And I want to talk with you today about these three forces that can weaken your soul. And I just wonder... Uh, Which of these right now is most weakening you inside? Have you maybe faced a really upsetting disappointment in the last week? Uh, Maybe it's disruption. What is disruption? Well, I can give you a good example. Disruption is uh, having your kids who are a little difficult to control in school for five days a week. And the teachers are taking care of them for you. And then let's say, theoretically, a global virus were to hit. 
And all of a sudden, your kids are home five days a week. And as parents, you're like, what do we even do? That would be called disruption. And we've lived in just a, a world of disruption. And even now, the disruption, okay, now finally everything's back open and we're all kind of mask-free and we can have fun. But now school starts again. Disruption is another one of those things that internally can eat at us if we don't deal with it. How about fatigue? Fatigue is just, you know, you're trying to do the right thing and you just get tired. You know, God might have brought you here today to just hear this. I've learned this in my life and we see this in the word of God. You can have the right character. You can be the right person. You can be right with God. But if you're tired, you're going to feel like everything's falling apart. And sometimes fatigue is eating away at us internally. You know, right now, just between you and God, which of these three would you say is most eating at you internally? And identify which one it is, and just right now, invite God to speak to you today. He wants to encourage you. He wants to give you some solutions. If you think back to that concrete that was cracked and the metal was rusting inside, what we're going to learn from the Word of God today is how to patch that up. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll leave here and you'll feel like, oh, I'm not disappointed anymore. Disappointment still hurts, but you can patch spiritually. You can repair your inner person so that these things that would eat at you don't cause you to eventually collapse upon yourself. You know, I was thinking about fatigue this last week because our oldest, he's 11 now, and, and he's a great young man. But man, when he was a toddler... Oh my goodness. And some of you have toddlers like this right now, like the really strong-willed child. Mel and I were driving. We were driving with our kids yesterday, and we were reminiscing a little bit. And she was reminding me of this time that I had texted her a bunch of pictures. We were at a tool store called Harbor Freight. This is when we lived in California. And I would stop by Harbor Freight to look for tools, and I would take Jack in with me when he was a toddler. And there was this time that he was a toddler, and we were in there looking at toys, and they are not toys, tools. Toys. <laughs> and, and Jack found his kind of toys. They had a kid's tool set. And he grabbed onto it, and he would not let it go. And he starts crying and wailing. It's like everyone in the store is looking at us, and he just literally, I pick him up. He won't let it go. And I, I, remember, I remember just being so frustrated. I remember times as a parent that I've gotten a lawn chair out of our garage and I've gone out in the driveway and I've just sat outside and looked up at the stars and just like, Lord, I have no idea what to do with these kids. That's fatigue. You know, that's part of being a parent is fatigue. Which of these has most been corroding you internally? You know, if I could tell you today how to overcome these enemies of your faith, would you want to know how? If I were to tell you from the word of God today that God doesn't want you living a life of constant discouragement. He doesn't want you living a life where you slowly collapse under the weight of disappointment or disruption. If I could tell you today how to get out from under that, would you want to know how? And that's what we're going to learn from the heroes of the faith. So if you've got a Bible, you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll put these texts up on the screen as well. Now, I love documentaries. Me and Jack were big time into World War II documentaries. And really, as I've looked at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and I've prayed about how do I summarize this whole chapter, which has more than 20 heroes of the faith in it, I realized this chapter is kind of like a movie script. Uh, if you think of a movie script for a documentary or a movie that says, here's how you overcome 
difficulty. That's really what Hebrews chapter 11 is. And it's a great chapter because it's got all these different heroes of the faith. And we could go through each one, one by one. But what I've done today is I've pulled out five principles to help you overcome disappointment, overcome fatigue, overcome disruption. Uh, who are a few of these characters? Well, we'll encounter Noah. Uh, you know Noah and the flood. But maybe what you don't recall is how disappointing and discouraging it would have been to give up your life's work and spend, get this, 100 years building a boat, telling all your neighbors that God told you to do this and it's going to rain, and it just keeps not raining year after year. That was Noah's life. Sarah, who wanted nothing more than to have a child. And not only did she not have children, but she saw other women around her having children, and she lived with that disappointment for decades. What all these heroes have in common is that they didn't give up. They, they wrestled with the same emotions that we do. All the same fatigue, all the same disappointment, all the same disruption, probably even more in their cases, and they never gave up. You know, Hebrews 11 starts out this way. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. A confidence, by the way, you might think it's a feeling, maybe overlaps with a feeling, but confidence is more of a, I know this is going to work. You know, it might not look like it's going to work. I might not even feel like it's going to work. Maybe all five or all my senses say it's not going to work, but I know it's going to work. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we do not see. And then verse 13 says, all these heroes of faith, they were still living by faith when they died. We all place faith in different things. Uh, each of you in this room placed faith in the chair that you're sitting on. It was a good choice. It's holding you up. If you're watching online, you've probably got faith in something that you're sitting on right now. We all place faith in different things. And the point of Hebrews 11 is not to glorify faith in and of itself. It's to glorify what you put your faith in. That there is a God who made you who is trustworthy. That no matter what you go through in life, you can put your faith in him. Faith is all about the object of your faith. You have a, a God who loves you, who has a plan for you, and you can trust him even when you don't feel like it, even when it looks like it's not going to work. What did this faith do? We're about to see, but I just want to take you to the end of the chapter, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. In other words, they all held on to faith when it looked impossible. You know, if everything looks like it's going to work out, you don't have to have faith to trust God. It's when you're disappointed that it requires faith to trust God. It's when you're fatigued. It's when your life has been disrupted. Faith is not a feeling, it's a choice. And here's really the big idea of this chapter. Here's the answer to the question. How do you get out from under that disappointment and disruption? How do you make sure it doesn't rust away the inside of your soul? And here's the answer. When things are beyond your control, not if, but when, no matter how successful you are, no matter how hard you try to control, there will be things in your life that you can't control. When that happens, choose an active faith. That word active is so important. The faith of these heroes who overcame adversity, it was not just some feeling that they had. That faith demonstrated itself with their feet, 
with their mouths, with their hands, with their actions. Choose a faith that takes action in the God who still is in control. We might be wondering, you know, what, what does this look like for me as a student or as a grandparent? What does this look like for you as a mom or as a husband or as an employee? So I want to give you five steps to build your faith muscle, five steps to patch up the concrete of your soul where it's being eroded, five things that you can do today. You can do these today and every day of this next week to overcome disappointment or disruption or fatigue. And here's the very first one. Tell God your disappointments. I know this might sound elementary, and I guess it is, but I've experienced within the last month, I I had a situation that really disappointed me, and I spent the whole day internally just down. And that night when I knelt at the side of my bed, and I finally, it was just me and God, and I had this moment where I said, you know what, God, I just have to tell you, I'm really disappointed. I'm just, I'm kind of overcome with disappointment. I still love you. I still trust you, but I'm just so disappointed. And in that moment, I realized, man, I need to do that more often. There's so many times where I'm carrying around disappointment, or maybe you're carrying around fatigue as a young parent or in your job. You're just like, man, I'm just fatigued. Have you told God? It's so good to just tell God, where you're discouraged, confess to him that you need him. Hebrews 11, as it goes through these heroes of the faith, it's chronological. In other words, in the order that they lived. And in verse 7, it talks about Noah. It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So God said, my judgment's coming on the world. Everyone was evil at that time doing evil all the time. People are killing each other, destroying each other. It's just this vile society. And God says, I'm just going to kind of wash the earth and start over. But Noah, you're righteous. I'm going to preserve you. However, for you to be preserved, you've got to believe what I'm saying and build an ark. Now, it's really fascinating. If you read back through scripture, there's two people of which scripture says they walked with God. Probably not the only two who did walk with God, but there's two people who get that as their They're kind of what's written on their tombstone. Noah walked with God. What a cool thing. Wouldn't that be awesome for people to be able to say that about you at the end of your life? Like, she walked with God. He walked with God. And the point is this. Noah walking with God doesn't mean that physically God came down to earth and they were like in stride together. It means that as Noah went about his day, he was in constant communication with God. That means saying, God, here's where I'm disappointed. I still love you. I still trust you. But here's where I'm disappointed. God, I'm tired. I'm fatigued. Am I maybe taking on more than I'm supposed to be doing? You know, you say my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not feeling it, Lord. Would you help me feel it? That's what walking with God looks like. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God, well, first, you have to believe he exists and you can't see him. There's lots of things that exist that you can't see, like the wind. You see the effects of the wind, but you don't see the wind itself. (laughs) Or, of course, the beauty of how the word of God is true in everything it says, that it says that Christ holds all things together and, and that God is the one at the center of everything. And, of course, now we know about atoms and protons and 
neutrons and molecules. Everything you see is actually made up of things you can't see. Think about that. So because you can't see protons and neutrons and molecules and atoms with your eyes, are you going to be like, no, they don't exist? No, God obviously exists because of the created order. But faith says, God, I'm going to believe you exist, and I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to do what you say in my life. Faith is saying, God, you're there, and I'm going I'm to seek you. I'm going to take you up on that promise from the Old Testament that if I seek you with all my heart, I will find you. And so, God, all the different emotions of my life, where I'm disappointed, where I'm discouraged, where I'm fatigued, where my life has been disrupted, I'm going to seek you. God, what does it look like to know you and walk with you and be a follower of you in this disappointment or in this season of life? You could put it this way, when you hurt inside, because that's what happens. When disappointment, these things are corroding, you're hurting inside. When you hurt inside, you need to know this. God sees your disappointment. He sees it. And he cares about it. I know you might feel like, well, if he cares about it, why wasn't it fixed right away? That's probably how Evie felt when, when Mel and I, don't worry, we did not laugh in front of her when her stuffed animal's head was chewed off there. But he sees it and he cares. And guess what? Just like we're going to replace that stuffed animal for Evie, God promises he will work all things together for your good if you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Doesn't mean you won't pass through disappointment, but he sees it and he cares. I love this verse in Hebrews 4. Jesus understands our weakness for he faced all the same testings that we do. Isn't that beautiful? The God who loves you, who died on the cross for your sins, he has felt every emotion that you're feeling in your life right now. He's been there. You know, the faith that overcomes is an active faith. It reveals itself in saying, God, as I'm going through this, I know you love me. And I'm going to demonstrate my faith by just telling you like a child, Father, here's what I'm feeling. Just like Noah, I'm going to walk with God. Step two, live like God keeps his promises. Now, I was tempted when I first drafted this up from studying Hebrews 11. It was like, well, believe God's promises. But our problem is we'll say like, yeah, I believe that. But we separate like what we believe from what we do. And the reality is we all do what we believe. You turn the key on your car because you believe it's going to start. You sit in the chair because you believe it's going to hold you up. You buy a ticket with an airline that you trust in because you believe they're going to take you where you want to go. Our actions reveal our beliefs. And so I want to challenge you today. Don't just believe God keeps his promises. Uh, yes, do, but live like you actually believe it. Examine your life and say, do my actions indicate that I believe God keeps his promises? And I want to encourage you. The fact that you're watching this right now or that you're in this room shows your faith. Way to go. Keep doing it. Keep living like God keeps his promises. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11 describes Abraham. Now, Abraham is an incredible story because by faith, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, but he didn't know that at the time. God just said, Abraham, leave everything you have. Sell your business, take everything you have, and just hit the road. Abraham didn't know where he was going. Even though he did not know where he was going, Abraham obeyed. 
Uh, Think about this. God called Abraham to leave everything, and he didn't have any guarantee that it would work out. Now, God's not telling you this today, but what if God were to say to you today, I want you to sell everything. I want you to pack up. I want you to just hit the road. You say, God, where to? And he says, oh, just hit the road. And that's what we see in Abraham's story and the challenge in our life is we're like, God, um, if you tell me where we're going and assure me that it all works out in the end, then I'd be happy to hit the road. But sometimes God just says, hit the road. And, and Abraham walked by faith in that way. He took it one step at a time, even though just like us, he would have wanted to know what the next three steps are. You know, as a church, we got a chance to do this two years ago when the elders and actually almost two and a half years ago now, maybe three. When the elders and I, we prayed, we said, you know, instead of doing another physical campus at this time, we should do an online campus. And it was before COVID. And you all said, we're going to fund that. We're going to get together. We're going to step out in faith. We had no idea God was preparing us. And that's my prayer right now. And I hope you'll be joining, praying for the elders and me to say, God, what's the thing right now that we should be preparing for for a year from now? God, we want to keep walking by faith. Just because you parted the Red Sea once and we got through it, we're not done walking by faith. We want to keep living like you keep your promises. And that's what Hebrews 11 says over and over. These people believed that God would say, would do what he says. A question, have you ever been that person who's running through the airport trying to catch your flight? Have you ever been that person? I was once or twice when I was real young, and then I used to travel a lot as a speaker before we moved here, and I would always just kind of err on the side of getting there early, and, but inevitably, when I'd be in the airport, I would see some group chugging, you know, they're like sprinting with their bags, and uh, it's always a little bit funny to see. You know, airlines make a promise, we will get you to whatever city you buy a ticket for, but it's a covenant promise. We'll get you to that city if you show up and get on the plane. And one of the reasons we run through the airport is that we know they're going to leave when they said they're going to leave. And if I'm not there, I'm not going to be on it. And most of the airlines aren't going to give me back my few hundred dollars that I spent on my ticket. And that's the way the covenant works. And God's promises are the same way. He has these incredible promises for your inner peace, for your fulfillment, promises for your sexuality, promises for your provision, promises for your relationships, promises for your significance in life. But just like getting to a flight on time, these promises in the word of God, he says, do what I say and I will uphold my end of the bargain. Maybe you're hurting right now and you just need to be reminded God has a promise for whatever you're hurting about right now. He has a promise for you. Have you found it? Are you seeking it? Or like I so often do, if I'm honest, are you looking to something else to make you feel safe? You know, we look to our physical health or the affirmation of the people around us or our security in life. We look to those things to keep us safe. And those aren't bad things, but those things will all let us down. You know who won't let you down? Almighty God, he keeps his promises. I love this. Let us hold tightly or unswervingly without wavering to the hope we affirm. What's the hope we affirm? That God loves you. 
That he loves you so much that when sin separated you from him, he came to earth as the person of Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead. And that because you've placed your faith in him, you know you will spend eternity in heaven. And you know that in this world, any suffering you go through is temporary on your path to eternity. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Can I get an amen on that? God can be trusted. Amen. Well, how do you live like God keeps his promises? Well, you're doing one right now. You go to church every weekend. One of our prayer requests really for the month of August is uh, we know that the vast majority of people from before COVID are still with us, but I think we all know one or two people, if we've been here for a while, who they're not physically going to church anywhere right now. And we got people online because they can't drive here. They live in other parts of the country. And that's, of course, we don't expect you to drive here from Colorado or wherever. But for people who live here, who we know, who could drive here, we're saying like, come on, Let's live like God keeps his promises. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So let's live like that. Let's encourage each other in that. What else will you do if you live like God keeps his promises? Well, it'll start to affect your marriage. You'll start to say, God, how do you want me to handle my marriage? How do you want me to handle my finances? I'm going to do whatever you say. I love this song. We often sing Waymaker. uh, And there's many times where I'm going through battles spiritually and we sing this song and I just love this part, even when I don't see it, you're working. Sometimes I just gotta sing that to myself. I just gotta remind myself. I might not see how God's working right now, just like I can't see atoms and protons and neutrons, but God is working right now. Uh, Step three, if you wanna fortify your inner soul, this is my favorite one, you gotta punch pain in the mouth. This is my favorite one because, you know, I used to be so afraid of pain, and it's a natural thing to be afraid of pain. I still don't enjoy it, don't get me wrong, but God has taught me that as a follower of Jesus, any pain I experience in this life is temporary, and he's also taught me that growth and greatness often lie on the other side of pain. You know, you look at any Super Bowl quarterback who's holding up the trophy and he just won the Super Bowl. Did he get there by not having any pain? No, he got there by waking up early. He got there by the muscle burning. That's when you're growing. When you work out and it burns, that's when you're growing. And all these heroes in Hebrews 11, they all went through pain. Now, I'm not saying, and God's not saying like some masochistic, like invite pain, want pain in your life. No, I don't want pain in my life either, okay? But I used to be so averse to pain that I would make decisions based on, well, how can I avoid the most pain? But as I've followed Jesus, I've realized that the man I follow is a man who was tortured in front of a mob tortured to death. That's how he ended his life. And I'm following him. So do you think I'm going to go through some pain? Yeah, because I'm living for a greater purpose. And so the the point here is really change your paradigm from saying, I'm going to live a life that avoids pain. That won't leave you in a good place, physically, emotionally, relationally, to I'm going to live a life that follows Jesus and trusts God. And when pain arrives, not if, but when, I'm not going to be afraid of it. I'm going to push through the pain knowing that greatness is on the other side. I love this. When you hurt inside, remind yourself, God's not afraid of pain. Now, Hebrews reminds us over and over again, Jesus is perfect. We know that we're not. Jesus is better. That's really the summary of Hebrews. Where there were these old laws and customs and animal sacrifices, Jesus is better. So 
Jesus is the perfect example of one who said, Father, uh, if there's any other way to redeem humanity, I don't want to go to the cross. Please let this cup of judgment pass from me. He prayed that three times, sweating drops of blood, agonizing on the ground. God, please, I don't want to go through this pain. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus is perfect on this. I'm not. There's plenty of times where I say, God, I want to seek first your kingdom. We're going to do big things in central Indiana. And then it's like, well, this is going to hurt, John. If you want to believe that big and pray that big and step out with that kind of bold faith, there's going to be times where it hurts. And then I have to look to Jesus and say, you know what, God, I'm a wimp. And when really going for big things in my family and in this world hurts, in and of myself, I would turn away or I would just quit. And I have to look to the author and the perfecter of my faith who didn't quit. The only one who's perfect. The only one who would intentionally choose to push through the most severe agony and pain. Why? So he could rescue you. He said, you know what? Being with her for all of eternity rescuing him from his addiction, changing that family system, breaking years of alcoholism, years of anger for that family of system, setting them free, it's worth my suffering. That's the heart of God. And I'm not saying that, you know, you wake up and say, God, I want to go through pain. But what I am challenging you is this, as you walk with faith and as you grow, God might say, hey, being the godly dad I've called you to be means Passing up that promotion where you wouldn't be around for your kids to disciple them. And no one else knows how disappointed you are inside. Only God knows that pain that you've chosen to do things his way. It might be some sin struggle that, you know, you're like, well, I've been doing this for 15 years. God, do you really want me to give it up? Remember a good friend of mine who's a pastor who was an alcoholic when he became a Christian. He remained an alcoholic for two or three years, functioning alcoholic. He owned a business. There was a day when he was praying and God said, I can't use you like this. And he realized for me to fulfill the purpose God has for my life, I'm going to have to go through the pain of giving up this crutch for him of alcohol that he had leaned on for 15 or 20 years. Jesus endured the cross. The point is this. Don't be afraid of pain. It's going to come into your life one way or another. But know that as you follow God and you have a purpose, you can punch right through it. And you can keep going. And the agony, the sweat, it's worth it. I love this in Hebrews 11. Of all these heroes of the faith, it says they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So they were pushing through not only to serve others, but saying, God, this world is temporary. And you've got eternal glory for me. And look at this. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Not a verse that you often hear preached. Like, hey, follow Jesus. Here's what might happen. But the point is this. Their reward is eternal. They kept their eyes fixed on a better life. And that is step number four. To refortify your soul in the midst of disappointment or fatigue is to decide that God is better. God, the thing that I wanted that didn't work out, you're better than it. And I'm just choosing right now, as much as I wanted that thing, I'm not going to make it an idol. I choose you over that thing. God, you're a better planner than I am. I thought I had a pretty good plan. I thought I had it figured out. But apparently, you see some things I don't see. And God, I'm going to believe, I'm going to choose to believe that you're better. So some of you know, I used to write new car auto reviews when I was a journalist. 
uh, that manufacturers like Jaguar and BMW and Hyundai and Kia and Toyota, they would all give me a different new car every week to drive. It was a really tough job. Not only did I have a different new car to drive every week, but they would deliver it to my office with a full tank of gas. I would drive it for a week, and then a week later, they would show up with a different one. And, and so I've driven, you know, almost every make and model of car, and I'm also a nerd. And so a lot of my friends, whenever they're getting a, a car, they'll come to me and they'll say, John, what should I get? Because you're a total car nerd. What should I get? Which one is better? So a lot of times they're looking at like, well, I'm looking at this one or this one. Which one's better? And, of course, the question often has to do with, like, well, what are you looking for in a car? But most people, a lot of my friends are, you know, looking for, like, a pretty good used car. You know, maybe something that's a couple years old. They're like, I don't want to buy it brand new, but going to get something a couple years old. Or, or even if it's new, John, do I get this one or this one? And here's the thing I usually tell them, especially if they're looking at a used car. Because if you look at used cars, here's what will happen. You'll pull up to a used car dealership, and there will be a car. I'm not going to say any of the brands because I don't want to offend any fans, Okay but like a really slick European car of some kind, and you sit in it, and all the leather is stitched, and you're just like, this thing is beautiful. Why does it cost less than the Toyota Camry? This car is clearly so much better, and it is. It's faster, it's prettier, it's more comfortable, and if you don't mind, like every six months paying three or $4,000 in repair bills, it's the better car for you. But if you're the kind of person who like, well, I don't really want to be paying three or 4,000 extra every six months in repair bills. I just want my car to start up and get me where it's going. Then the better car might be something that was made in a different country that doesn't look as cool and as fast. Now, I'm not here to say European cars are bad. I mean, whew, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And if you can afford the repairs, they're, they're great. They are. I wish I could, Okay. Decide that God is better. The point is this. Sometimes something looks better. But as time goes on, you realize that it's not like the old country song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. And the point is to remind ourselves when we don't get what we wanted in life or we're fatigued with the path that God has marked out for us in life to say, God, I choose to decide that you're better. You're smarter than I am. You see things I don't see, and I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't understand it, but I just choose to believe. This was the case for Abraham in Hebrews 11. You know, Abraham and, and Sarah, the only thing they wanted, the biggest thing they wanted was a son. And God finally gives them a son, Isaac. And there was this test where Abraham was told to go sacrifice his one and only son. It ends up being foreshadowing of God sacrificing his one and only son. For us, of course, God would never tell, have a parent actually follow through on taking the life of their child. But Abraham steps out in faith. And I love verse 19. Abraham reasoned that even if God didn't stop him, God could raise him from the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And the point is this. Abraham was willing to die to his dream because he trusted that God was bigger. And of course, God provided, and God didn't want Abraham to actually take the life of his child. I remember when I left my journalism career and gave up the auto reviews to become a pastor of a church of 40 people in Arizona. As I drove up the mountains to the retirement community in Arizona, over and over again, I just felt like Abraham going up the mountain with Isaac. 
And I felt like God was saying, John, uh, if you will take a knife and stab it in the heart of your dream of being a writer, that was my lifelong dream from the time I was 17. I want to write books. I want to be an author. I want to be a writer. And, and I felt like God was saying, die to that dream, serve my people, love my people. And when I walked away from my journalism career and I took that little church, I truly had come to the place where I said, God, if I never write another story, if I'm never published again, I'm willing to die to myself to follow you. And the first two years there, I thought, I'm never going to write again. I'm just called to love the local church. Little did I know that on my 30th birthday, my first book would come out and it would become a national bestseller and it would be the first of five and I say that to say this, you guys, whatever dream you have, if God says go a different way, trust him. I couldn't have written five books. I couldn't have written national bestsellers if I had tried to do it as a journalist. The irony is I totally died to it. I totally said, God, I will serve you no matter what. And then he just put it right back in my lap. I'm not smart. I didn't figure it out. He keeps his promises. I just did what he said. And maybe you don't relate to wanting to write books. You're like, John, you're a total nerd. I don't even read books. I can't imagine wanting to write books. That's fine. I get that. But the point is this. Don't be afraid to die to your dreams as you follow Jesus because he will bring it back around. Whether in this life or in the next life, he'll bring it back around in a way bigger way than if you had done it your way. So when you hurt, God is better. At the very end of Hebrews 11, it says, God had something better in mind. I love this old hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. In other words, you know, the most pleasant person around me who I would say, well, I'm safe because of them, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You know what pain does? Pain reveals, it pulls away, and it shows you what your faith is actually in. And I don't like it any more than you do, but when we go through disappointment, it reveals, oh, my faith was actually in my career. And realize it, I said my faith was in God, but my faith was actually in my career, or in my family, or in my health. And to say, God, my hope is built on nothing less than you. Jesus, you're my hope. I'm investigating my hope. The foundations of my soul are corroded. And Jesus, I want to replace the rust, the rebar that's rusted out with you. Step five. Choose God's larger-than-life time horizon. What's a time horizon? It's this idea of how far into the future do you look when you're making a decision. So back to the used car thing, it's like, well, here's this luxury European used car. It was $120,000 new. It's only four years old, and they're selling it for $8,000. Of course I'm going to buy that. What a deal. And then six months later, it's like, oh, it needs a new transmission, and that's $15,000. That was a short time horizon, right? You, you just weren't thinking far ahead. And of course, kids have very short time horizons. They think in minutes. Hopefully, by the time you go to college, you're thinking in uh, weeks or months or semesters or years. And hopefully, as you get older, you're making some decisions thinking, you know, about decades. Hebrews 11.23 says this, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. So you may remember the story. Pharaoh said, if you, you have to kill your, your children because the, the, God's people were slaves to the Egyptians. Slavery is an evil that has been in almost every century of human history. And, and the Pharaoh saw that the Israelites, they were really becoming a large population. So he said, we're going to kill all the babies. Moses' parents denied the government orders. 
They said, we're going to hide this baby, knowing that if the baby cried when an Egyptian guard was walking past, they would get killed. For three months, they lived in dread and anxiety, hiding this child, wondering if they would get caught. And for those three months, they ended up getting a lifetime of significance. Could you imagine being Moses' dad? Your son's standing there at the Red Sea. The water's part, and you're like, ah, that's my boy. That's pretty cool. But it required trusting that God had a bigger plan. Moses, in the same way, verse 24, grows up in Pharaoh's palace, could have a life of luxury. And when he finds out, I belong to God's chosen people who are the slaves, and he has a choice. I don't tell anyone, and I just keep living life like a prince, or... I choose to say, hey, I'm one of the slaves too. Look at verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What's that? That's, that's a long time horizon. <laughs> that's saying my entire life from now until I die is gonna be way worse because I'm choosing to follow God. Not always the case for us, but was the case for Moses. But Moses said it'll be worth it because there's an eternity there's a longer time horizon. So when you hurt inside, remind yourself, God has a longer time horizon. I was talking with some friends a, a couple weeks ago. They have a neighbor who doesn't know Christ yet, and they had given him a book, and they were really hopeful and prayerful that he would turn to Christ after reading that book. And he read the book, and he gave it back, and he said, there's no hope for me. And they said, John, we're just devastated. We've really been praying for him. And in the moment, as I was asking God, what do I tell these precious people of yours? What he said to me is, it's not over yet. This is just one more chapter in the story. He may have said, I, I, I give you the book back. I'm, I'm too far gone. God can't help me. But you've got to trust that you're praying. And he read that book. And the word of God doesn't return void. The story's not done yet. He hasn't passed away yet. He's still got time. Keep praying for him. The time horizon is bigger. I think we can all remember as kids some toy that we wanted so badly. Some gift. I remember I would get these metal die-cast cars. Oh, I love those things so much. I mean, I still like them. But as a kid, it was like that was everything. You think of some toy from your childhood where it was everything, like Evie's little stuffed animal, and now that you've lived longer and you've seen more life, you kind of chuckle and you say, well, that, that was cute, but it wasn't that big a deal. You guys, the things that we're disappointed about right now, the griefs, and the fatigues right now that a hundred years from now we're going to look back from heaven and it's going to be like that childhood toy. And we're going to say, oh, I was so worked up about that thing. When you heard inside, God has a longer time horizon. I love this. Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead, looking ahead to his greater reward. So quick review here. Five things you can do today where you're discouraged, disappointed, or fatigued. Tell God. Live like he keeps his promises. Punch pain in the mouth. Don't be afraid of it. Go through the pain. God will carry you through it. Decide, God, you're better. Choose God's larger time horizon. Now, I want to do something a little different today. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up uh, because I just want to read over you uh, a couple of these verses. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, 
but I know that God cares, and I know that he brought you here to remind you that he cares. And, and maybe you're here, and today's the first day that you really believe in Jesus as your Savior, or maybe you've just been being faithful, and you're fatigued, and you're tired. Wherever you're at, I want to read to you from Hebrews 10, starting in verse 35 here, uh, and, and maybe just just... Close your eyes and listen to this. I just, I kind of want to pray this over you guys, okay? So do not throw away your confidence in Jesus. Don't throw away your confidence in Jesus. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who's returning, Jesus will return to judge evil, to reward those who follow him, and he will not delay. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. As a follower of Jesus, who do you belong to? You belong to Almighty God. And what group of people do you belong to? You belong to those who have faith, and are saved through the work of Christ on the cross. Almighty God, I pray over my brothers and sisters today where we have carried disappointment into this room, where we've been living with fatigue eating away at our inner person, disruptions in life that have shaken us. God, today we lift up our eyes from where does our help come from, the maker of heaven and earth. Almighty God, would you fortify our inner person? Would you restore our souls? Would you strengthen our faith? Lord, we want to be more like Noah. We want to be more like Abraham and Moses. We want to be people who punch through the pain, who live like you keep your promises. God, we want to walk with you and tell you our disappointments. And Lord, would you give us your time horizon? Jesus, you said, whatever we give up for you in this life, houses or lands or family, it will be returned tenfold in the next life. Jesus, may we cling to your promises that this world, we're we're traveling through it. We're tourists here. This is not our home. And may we live for eternity. And God, would you use us as a movement to bring tens of thousands of people with us into the gates of heaven? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.